we have to record everything. Because this podcast, Pod People, is a podcast with integrity. Journalistic integrity. <laughs> Me amo Roberto Zombie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the uh, the Plague Knight, Ben Sheets. Right on, right on. I feel like you've done that one recently. <laughs> I think you have. I, uh... Or something else. Hey, I mean, COVID-19 is continuing. You can't, you can't get any away with it. <laughs> Hello, and I'm Cleveland Mosher, and uh, I'm here to get riggedy riggedy racked, Or just racked. Are you down with the sickness? I am. <laughs> I am. I have, I have the system of a down. The late Wait, night that's boys. not system of a down. That's nope, the other that's one. Disturbed. disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> You're very disturbed about this. Uh, I'm also pretty drunk, so, uh, you know. Speaking of... Tr- not as much as I was last week, though. I think last week was probably the drunkest I've been on the podcast. You pulled a me. I did. <laughs> I did. I didn't need an apology. I didn't need to do an apology no. at the beginning, at least. Or no, because you only because you only really got drunk at the very end, uh, so you didn't have as much time to embarrass yourself <laughs> as I have twice on the show. Yeah. But uh, you know, that good. means that means it's it'll be Ben's time soon. Oh, Unfortunately, you, you you edit these, and I, I don't think I said anything crazy. I think I was just kind of silly and stupid, but. Yeah, you I did. Know. You were fine. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm well, not like a jo- It's not like a doc- Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde scenario. You know, like no. I don't have a few beers, and then suddenly I'm a monster. I'm just a little more docile and uh, more of an idiot. But you know, that's fine. Well, speaking of having a few beers and becoming a monster, let's do it. This week on the pod, we are uh, talking about a film that was chosen by uh, one of our Patreon subscribers, honorary Pod Boy Sam Simon. Sam, I know you're listening. We did Simon. this. We did this one for you, and you know what? Thank you. This is a movie we've been needing to talk about Hell for a while. Yes, we are talking about uh, the 2007 Spanish found footage horror film Wreck. Uh, it's directed by Jaime Balaguerro and Paco Plaza. Paco Plaza. We did one of his movies before this. Oh, do you know we? what it was? Remind me. Veronica. Oh, shit. That was Paco Plaza. That movie sucked. That movie that did a, suck. That was not a good movie. Unlike this movie. Unlike the, yeah, that was before... Uh, man, we did that forever ago. I thought, I thought someone else made Veronica. No, Veronica is the Glenn Danzig film. <laughs> yeah. But Veronica... Danzig. Yeah. Veronica is a, a, a Spanish language we'll cover that in like film. 2018. We were still in Milwaukee when we did that. Yep. Yeah, that was before Cleveland's time. Um, wow. Well, uh, we're we're talking about a different Paco Plaza movie, a much better one. Um, and I think a film that most people would agree is uh, very important to the uh, found footage subgenre of horror. I'd agree. Um, I'm actually surprised that this was your first time seeing this movie, Cleveland. Uh, especially considering uh, how you guys over at Dread watch so many found footage movies. I know you usually watch the bad ones. We usually watch trash, yes. Usually, usually watch the bad ones, but it's still kind of surprising that this one hasn't made its way into a uh, Yeah, it was, we, watch a good, we watch a good every once in a while, but the, the running gag, it, it's not exclusively true, but like the running gag is like whenever we do movie nights at the Dread XP Discord, normally Ted is hosting, um, 
and uh, we only watch the good ones when I host. Good is really loose. I mean, like normally it's just that I I do more mainstream things um, uh, that I either haven't seen in a while or you know whatever because I just going to mix it. Up. It's like oh, it's a Cleveland night. It's got to be a little different. Well, this yeah. one is definitely an important one. I think this one was so popular that they they did both an American remake. A sequel to the American remake and three sequels to this, to this one. one. Yeah, this is the only so. one. This is the only one that I've seen. I've seen Quarantine, which is the American. Yes, version. I've seen Quarantine as well. I actually saw Quarantine before I saw this one. I saw it probably. I didn't see it in theaters, but I did rent it on DVD from Blockbuster in 2008 when it came out. Um, I'm pretty sure the guy who directed the Poughkeepsie tapes directed that one. Yo! Really? Interesting. I still need to watch the yeah, Poughkeepsie um, tapes. And I, I, I was actually looking it up because I haven't seen it since like high school, but... I, I totally forgot that it starred Jennifer, Jennifer Carpenter. Carpenter. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I do remember that. And honestly, I I remember seeing Wreck for the first time in college and being like, God damn, they really just did an almost shot for shot American remake. Yeah. Because Quarantine is pretty much this film exactly, except worse. Yeah. Yeah, Which, uh, they're I they're super similar. Yeah, um, but I I think quarantine is uh is less authentic. Uh, it feels more manufactured, and uh, the the dialogue is a lot worse. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there's some that's lost in the Americanization yeah. process, so to speak. Yeah, the Americanization process for sure. Well, I mean, like that's hardly the only example of like an international uh horror films especially an international horror film that uh achieves some level of acclaim and success and america is like we got to do this but in english now yeah because people hate to read subtitles i feel like they don't do that as much anymore but it used to be such a big thing in like yeah. the early to mid 2000s sure like the ring J-horror, the ring and like the they grudge. even did like an american let the right let one the right in. one in yeah. Yep. I was about to say they did yeah. that. There was quarantine. There has been rumors of an American version of Troll Hunter in the works for years. I don't know if that's ever actually going to happen. Troll Hunter um, rules. Troll Hunter is great. Movie. Troll Hunter is great. I don't think I need to see an American remake of it. Oh, it already uh, exists. It's already great. Like, but, uh, uh, I need well, to and. This isn't a horror movie, but Spike Lee did the an American version of Old Boy. <laughs> oh man, yeah, he did. Which is a movie that he I sure did. Which is a movie that I like, but not for the right reasons. <laughs> um, man, that was. I still haven't seen either Old Boy. I, uh, though I know the twist. The I, the original is a masterpiece, and then Spike Lee did an American version that's just like so over the top and not subtle at all. And it's got like Josh Brolin is the lead, and Charlto Copley is the villain, and Elizabeth Olsen I think is the daughter. It's a it, it's a I bad mean, movie. Honestly, like I would love to do like a bonus episode on that movie because it's so bonkers that I feel like. I need to talk about it. What at on some the Spike point. Lee old boy? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> we can do an original versus remake on that one. Yeah, there we go. But uh, yeah, they they did that all the time, and they've kind of stopped doing that lately. But I think in this case, you know, the movie we just watched, Wreck, is really quality and that's why they wanted to pull from it because it's a very short movie tight 75 yeah it's uh it it gets in and out you know doesn't spend too much time exposition dumping besides except the very end end. we'll talk about um very simple premise yeah and i mean for the most part it's very minimal outside of the very beginning where they're at the fire department most of the rest of it is in this one small apartment building. Yep. And because it's so limited in location, it's very atmospheric and you feel very immersed in the the location. And believable. The one problem that so many found footage movies get wrong is... Not get wrong, but just they all do the same thing where they say like... Oh, we're gonna we're ghost hunters. We're gonna go explore an abandoned building when we're we're hunting ghosts. And then, oh my God, what if they actually found ghosts? And that's that's so many found footage movies. Um, I think uh, Paranormal uh, uh, Asylum. What's it called? The Grave Encounters. Grave I think, Encounters. Yeah, I think Grave Encounters was the best at it. You know, because they did the personalities and things with it, and like it it, it works well. But. It's been done. There's a good, like Grave Encounters has a sense of humor too. Like it, yes. it sort of knows what it is also, mm-hmm. yeah. and you know it has some effective stuff. But yeah, I mean, like the found footage films that we've talked about on the podcast that you know we've rated very highly and have given lots of praise, all have one thing in common, regardless of what the story is, and that's authenticity. Yep. The Poughkeepsie tapes. The original Blair Witch Project, Noroi, and I think add this one to the list. Definitely. All have such a high degree of authenticity that even though you know it's not real, it feels believable. The characters feel like real people who just have a camera put on them. The dialogue doesn't feel stilted. You know, everything feels like it could potentially exist in our world. Yeah, until, you know, the very end. Um, yeah, but, there, but a the, lot. the charm yeah. of that is <laughs> is things unravel in, and you see it in real time. So things get worse and worse for our main character yes. and the rest of the people in the building. But you're along for that ride and it's not like you have inside information on what's going right. on. Mm-hmm. You're discovering what's going on with the characters yeah. which really places you in the in the in the world yeah and it, it's so nice because you know again like some of these other films like they they fuck up with the framing and here like it's so organic uh we're kind of similar to blair witch but even blair witch is like oh hey we're going to go and document the blair witch you know we're going to go and document like this like yeah. weird folk horror um well in the blair so witch they're making a student film they don't actually expect to you know yeah but but like the, get the, sucked into the horror they're making a student film about a horror right right, right. right? Yeah, like yeah. like uh and you know like grave encounters like the framing is cool because it's you know at least it's like it's a it's a ghost show, hunter yeah. show Oh, but what if it was real? And that, that's kind of fun. But yeah, the majority of the rest is like, oh, some teams in the wilderness. And oh, my God, they found something scary. Who who saw that coming? Yep. But here, it's great because it feels really naturalistic. It feels um, genuine that they are just a late night 
TV show, like kind of filling filling a cable spot on uh, firemen. We're going to go learn about uh, yeah. we're going to go learn about firemen. We're going to interview them. And we're going to see what well, they do when they go down the poles. Yeah. So our protagonists, the lens for the the story, are a like super small independent late night public access local news style show. I think the show is called something like While You're Asleep. Um, it's the the host. Uh, Angela, Angela, and the cameraman Pablo, and they do sort of like day in the life of such and such thing, featuring around like stuff that happens while normal people are asleep. So for this, they're going to spend the night at uh, a fire station and shadow the firemen as they do their job. Call comes in, an old woman is stuck in her apartment. Okay, we hop on the truck. Let's go. They get to the apartment building. Weird shit starts happening. The government shows up, seals up the building. Nobody's let out. There's zombies. There's a there's a virus, a super rabies Spoilers. virus. Spoilers. You know, chaos ensues. I, I do want to say uh, before we dig too deep into the the what the what happens or the big the big reveal as to what genre we're watching. Um, I didn't know. Going in. You didn't I, know it was a zombo? I did not. I did not know it was a zombo. Um, did you uh, go into this expecting ghosts? A little bit. I wasn't sure. And for me, that that actually added a lot of fear. That had a lot of tension. Um, trying to figure out oh, what's going on. Because like, the beginning of the film is the fire station stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's well characterized. Uh, it's pretty snappy. So I was I was engaged by the whole thing. and uh, Setting up a few important characters. Yeah, yeah. And setting the, up Angela. It's actual firemen. And it's an actual, like fire house you know uh and the the information that they're giving seems fairly earnest um unlike a lot of like higher budget found footage stuff you know like the which was nice so we actually got some firemen deep lore i guess like we looked into we got to learn you know like like 70 percent of their calls aren't fires they're just random stuff yeah so when something water main rescuing a cat from a tree stuff like that yeah Yeah. and like that that's a neat piece of information and it makes it all the more genuine when they get called out because an old lady's trapped in her apartment and not a fire right so like you're not expecting a fire and that, that's really a cool play on expectation because if you're expecting a fire and you don't get one you're gonna be a little disappointed so by setting us up with that i think like that that helps kind of pad that blow and it makes things really interesting and they're traveling in the fire truck i was i was reading uh something funny on the imdb trivia page apparently in the original script they were going to be uh going to a police station and shadowing police officers but the reason they chose firemen is because you know this was in production 2006 2000 2007 uh firemen were very popular internationally in this time because of 9-11 oh okay (laughs) thanks 9-11 firemen are heroes you know which i mean they genuinely are yeah uh but uh especially in like this part of the 2000s it's like you know you hear about all of the heroic shit that like firefighters did to try to save people on 9-11 hard to to hate a fireman yeah hard to hate a fireman firefighters are heroes so that's why they decided nope instead of police we're gonna have them shadow uh firemen and you know they still there are a couple of cops that show up you know so like you still have your police characters your sort of uh authoritarians a little bit you you guys ever read that alarming statistic about like the number of firemen who have been arrested for starting fires so they could get credit for putting them out 
Damn, no, but I believe no. that. I might do the same thing if I was a fireman and be like, yeah, I'll put it You're sitting around on your ass all day, like, waiting for some glory, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh, start a little fire, you know, like, because I can get, you know, credit for putting it out. Like, I got inside a, information. Yeah, right. Um, none of the firemen said that in this documentary, though, but I, I, uh, I don't know, it's probably some red headline. I have no idea, like, how accurate, like, or how, how many it is, but I, I, I feel like one or two at the very least, you know, like, there's a few firemen out there. Statistically, like, hey, somebody's done it, Someone's right? got to done it, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're a pyromaniac, there's uh, there's not much better job you can have than be a fireman. Right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. You get to do you get to do shit with fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, much like if you're a serial killer, there aren't too many better jobs than uh, Hannibal, you know? Gotta be on the inside. I thought you were gonna say cop. <laughs> I, I, well, I was going to cut pad it. I was trying to pad it. I mean, I was, but you know, with, with some. We all we all knew what you were thinking. Yeah, I, I, Hannibal, I can get page. away with it. But like, no. Uh, the the point is, I mean, there's a there's a thin blue line between you know the 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 the, the two the two types. But <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> anyway, I thought that all of that setup was really neat. Uh, while we're on the topic of really neat setup, I also loved how they're going to interview one of the fire chiefs. And before they start the interview, she she leans in and whispers to Pablo, if this is boring, cut it. Like, don't say you're cutting it. Just cut it. Save we tape. Need, we yeah. need to save the tape. It's a small line, but it's fucking genius because it says, one, they're low budget. They're trying to make it. So, like, they don't have all the resources mm-hmm. and stuff, which makes them kind of scrappy and fun. So it's good character building. But it's also fucking perfect for uh, a found footage movie because it explains the snappy editing. Yep. It explains yeah. that Pablo is trying to be really careful, like, when he gets his shots. Um, so the the pacing and editing of the film um feels uh intentional in the moment and you once again and you feel like a good found footage movie should like you just picked up this tape picked somewhere up the tape, popped it in yeah. You know, yeah and are watching it unedited yeah mm-hmm. exactly i mean which is always the thing with found footage horror movies it's like who edited this you know, why is who, there music what who who chose who chose to cut like to cut this part out or to leave this part in and for this movie just like that one little line of dialogue is like okay so they're interviewing you know people throughout the movie it's like the interview starts to get boring you need to move on cut it save tape it's all in camera editing decisions made by the cameraman which is a really nice little detail. Yeah. I will say one time they play with that a little bit as well is a little later um, when there's a, a critical horror scene, let's say, and Angela wants to see the footage of what exactly happened. Mm-hmm. So they rewind it, and we literally see the tape rewind. In camera, and replay. Yeah. And uh, what you what you guys think of that? It's a little hokey. It's kind of weird. Yeah, because, like, that's not really how tape works. Yeah, you you're wanna, not, if like, you wanna, recording if you yourself, wanna, rewinding. Yeah, you're not recording, <laughs> rewinding. Like, when you rewind, you stop recording, you rewind, yeah. you, watch, you press play. Like, it would have made more sense to just cut it there and then have mm. it come back on after they've watched it. Um, yeah, that's, that's one of the, the few things in this movie that's a little immersion breaking, but like, I kind of get it from the sense that like they're rewatching like a shocking moment. Um, yeah. it's, but also at the same time, like, do we as the viewer gain anything from seeing it a second time or does it 
more feel just like, hey, check out this cool scene we just shot. It reminds twice. me of like in you know? Hong Kong action movies when there's a really cool set piece, they'll show it like three times. Well, yeah, they row. shoot it from like four, like the, like Jackie Chan going down the the light and police at the end of Police yeah. Story. Yeah, where they just shoot it from like four angles because they're like, we only got one on this, but then they just show it over and over again because it's cool. In action movies, I appreciate that. Though in, in, in Hong Kong action movies, I appreciate that. I mean, it didn't. It didn't terribly bother me here. No, it's, a little, no, it's, it's 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 kind of a nitpicky thing, but yeah. at the same time, it, it was a little strange to me. Well, the I thing think, is, is like when when the when the movie does such a good job of uh, of authenticity to begin with, even little things like. Stand out yeah. because the rest of it is so immersive that when there's something that's kind that doesn't quite fit, it's like, oh yeah, I'm watching a movie. Here's, well, here's the one saying. thing I, I was hoping for with that scene is something is revealed that we might not have caught on the yep. first time, mm-hmm. and we didn't really get that. Well, they, it just repeats it. This is okay. So uh, I'm of two minds. One, everything you've just said. Another perspective uh, that I like about it is if I did like cut there and then start up again, it would have been fine. But by getting to rewind with them, we're still with them. We're still with their perspective sure. on the whole scenario. And I'm pretty sure, too, we can still hear the audio. So it's like it's being rewound for us. But we can hear her reaction to it. No, you still hear the audio from no. from that scene. Yeah, right. it, there's not any additional. Yeah, I couldn't remember. Audio but regardless of that. of that, like it does, it does still put us with them, like with the protagonist sure. in doing that. Whether or not like it's how cameras work or not, I'm, I'm kind of I'm neutral on it. It doesn't bother me because like it does serve a good purpose. And also, I will certainly take it over what most like shitty found footage movies do, which is where like one of my favorite examples of this movie. I think it's called like the White String or something along those lines. Uh, not. You know, not great. Uh, nothing really to, to write home about. But there was like this one really good shot where this guy's like walking through his house or whatever. And we were all watching it together. And I was just like, holy fuck, there was a ghost in that shot. And um, everyone else in the group watching was like, wait, what? no, there wasn't. Like, what are, you, what are you talking about? I was like, no, 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 no. Rewind it and look at the curtain. And like, sure enough, like just there's an old lady like sta- like there in the shot. And it's really good. And we were all like, whoa, like that was like super because like, like a lot of found footage movies do that. But like doing it right and like having it just hidden enough um, and like that subtle is really cool. Um, I know like Haunting of Hill House where it was like hidden like a billion of them in the background. But mm-hmm. like in low production where you don't have lighting control and everything else like that, like it can be hard to do it right. And when it looks good, it looks really good. It looks really scary. But they do the fucking thing where the next sequence it has to do the thing where it rewinds to that scene and, and it like pauses and pauses and, and zooms puts a big in. fucking circle around yeah. the ghost. And why did you have to ruin it? Yeah. Let yeah. the move, let it, let me like feel cool for seeing it or not seeing it, you know, like, but they don't, because they don't, they're, they're amateur films. So they don't have that kind of confidence usually. And so like so many movies do that. The only, I think, exception I've seen to making that work is Neroy. Like a uh, Neroy uh, does that with the, uh, when the pop idol is like in the first in the cemetery, you yeah. know, and mm-hmm. she, she has her spasm, like they cut back to it. 
but it feels also, like the documentary doing Tarion doing that because he's making one of those kinds of movies. Exactly. So that, it works. that's the thing about Neroy is like yeah. the the his footage is edited and does have music added yep. because it's supposed to be he made this documentary Bingo. and then after he finished it, then the fire happened and he disappeared. <laughs> that's why there's the the true crime like framing show yeah. around that. And uh, see, like I forgot to mention, I actually I rewatched Neroy again um, with my buddies on Wednesday uh, over dinner. So it's it so a, good. It's man. so it's good. It's great. It's even better than on the second viewing. Like, for yeah. sure. But you were saying, right? Um, no, I mean, I was just going to say that, like, if you want to make stylistic decisions like that, just have a plausible in-world reason for it. And then it totally makes sense. You can do anachronistic shit like that. You know, that's Neroy is how you get away with having spooky music in your found footage film. Because like this is what you're watching is manufactured to a degree, you know, and they present it as such. It's like, that's all you got to do. It doesn't, it doesn't take much work. Yeah. You just got to think about it a little bit. Yeah, a cool well, and I will say like what makes that stick out so much more to me is for the rest of the movie they don't really overplay their hand in terms of showing stuff usually they'll show violence and stuff and like show really cool practical effects and all that stuff but they don't overplay anything to the point where it takes you out of it it hits all the hallmarks but it does it pretty tactfully and you never know when the next hallmark is coming like the next big moment. Yeah, well, and another thing that uh, another thing they do that I like too is that like you know, Angela keeps telling Pablo over and over again like keep recording, we have to record what's happening here. Like mm-hmm. we need to make a record of it. So, you know, that kind of helps a little bit with the the thing that's always in found footage, why are you still recording when the why shit hits the falling? fan? But what I appreciate that they do is that they shoot it in such a way that it feels believable that that's how it would look if he was recording in this situation. Like, they don't go out of their way to have the cameraman always back and have the camera steady so you can see the shit that's going on. The momentum and the energy are just, like, through the roof. I'd say this is a bad film to watch if you get motion sickness from watching movies. It's extremely frenetic, but also, like, it's so high energy that, like, it you feel anxious it's Mm -hmm. it's really Mm -hmm. tense especially because like the monsters are you know uh your your standard uh mid to late 2000s fast zombies they're not the living they're yeah they're not the living dead they're you know uh they're they're the super rabies type of zombies so like the the zombie attack scenes in this movie like combined with how it's filmed it's like it feels so fucking chaotic and just like brutal and terrible and the the practical effects that they do are great like the editing is seamless you know where they kind of will like when a zombie like bites somebody they'll whip the camera away for a second and whip it back and all of a sudden they're spraying blood from the neck you know they hide those edits very well it feels real i i was also thinking that like the the little girl there's a little girl who uh you know gets infected and attacks one of the the cops and uh 
she does a great job. Yeah. She does so good. Like, you know, child actors are usually shitty. I wouldn't be surprised if they just told her, like, the director just told her, like, pretend you're a tiger or something. You know, it was a little seven-year-old girl, and she's, like, fucking feral. Yeah. She's, she is... She does a really great job. Yeah, she's screaming and thrashing and clawing, and, like, it's it's an incredible performance for a fucking child, you know? No doubt. Yeah, that, that part really got me. I was pretty, uh, I was pretty spooked out by that. Yeah. Um, so when we first get to the apartment and like the lady is like like guys the bit of blood on her and she's sort of in the distance or yeah, like, the old I, I had no idea if we we're watching a zombie movie ghost movie i was like is this a cult what's going on and uh it it really put me there with the characters like not knowing what's going and it was you know what it was really fucking refreshing because of that like i was really glad to not know the genre going in because uh if if I had known it was a zombie movie, like that scene would not have had the same effect on me. Like I mean, it's it's scary regardless. I you know not to yeah, get it, but it's like well, the, it's well executed even if you know what's coming. I think, but not knowing was like particularly fun because I the main the care it really put me in the shoes of the characters because they're trying to figure it out too, and uh, that was fun. I liked that like, like kind of looking around the apartment, and be like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, is it a cult? Is it uh, is it zomboys? Is it what what's going on? The setting is great too. I I was reading that they that everything in this movie were they shot on actual locations. They didn't build any sets, um, and the the apartment building that they found is great. Mm-hmm. looks fantastic you know it's it's small but it's got like that the 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 stairwell which is a fantastic set piece that they use very effectively more than once um but also like the apartments themselves they've got these very high ceilings these like old european high ceilings but also like n- a lot of narrow hallways so you know when the power's out and all they've got is the light on the camera and stuff like that or the spotlights from the police outside shining through like these sets are fucking like th- this apartment is is so visually good yeah it makes it feel really claustrophobic in a way like uh, especially having all the police presence outside Mm -hmm. um i remember the first time i saw this it leaves you with such a sense of dread you know yeah because they like go to the door and they're not allowed out they go to the windows and suddenly the windows are draped with like the plat the plastic falling down yeah. over the windows is such a great moment yeah and it does wonders for uh making like the outside more mysterious because yeah. like visually mm-hmm. too like now we only get the uh, these figures silhouetted by like spotlights uh behind the clouded uh mm-hmm. like covers so um uh, you know, like they're they're calling out like, hey, please be calm. Like, we're really sorry about this, but, you know, just do what you can. And meanwhile, it's like, they're like, oh, you know, we think there might be some kind of uh, uh, contagious disease in the building. You know, we're going to send in a health inspector. They're going to take blood samples. And once we know you're not infected, you know, you're you're out and you're free to yeah. go. Oh, it's a and they, what, what kind of scenario do they call it? A CBT? A B, BNC? Yeah. BNC, BNC. Bio, biological nuclear chemical. That's right. Yeah. yeah. CBT is cock and ball torture. So it wasn't. Yeah, it's <laughs> not that. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I love too, like when they send in the the quote unquote health inspector later, where like you see, you know, the silhouette come up and like cut the plastic. Yeah. But then there's kind of like this pause, like what's going on outside, and it's like you, they zoom in and you can sort of see like all these people in like hazmat suits and gas masks and stuff. They're like Biohazard. suiting up and like getting ready to send this dude in, and he comes in and you know full full hazmat gear. I really like that we they we see them. Like from the uh, from the interior, like we see them outside, like inspecting him and making sure his suit is secure. All right, that's yeah. a, this, it, this movie's just full of those little touches like that that just make it feel so much more real and yeah. believed. And yeah. it's like, oh shit, I'm inside a Resident Evil game. Oh no, <laughs> like it's really fun. What do you guys think of the acting of all of the uh, the apartment residents? Killer. Uh, now there's a language barrier, so it can be a little hard to tell uh, sometimes, like like just how like yeah. believable the acting is between that. But um, from the other end of the language barrier, it looked fucking great to me. I found it, it all, very believable. It all feels very authentic. Yeah. I know I, they. I know they went out of their way to find like specifically no name actors. I, th- I I really like how they give each apartment resident their own unique kind of personality mm-hmm. like none of them blend together really because they're all kind of very distinct you have you know the asian family and the elderly couple and the colombian woman mm-hmm. and uh they all feel the medical intern yeah who also has like he's like the the building manager so he has all the keys um there's the racist old gay guy uh <laughs> uh who's a very funny character yeah i also like to like how they found an apartment building that has like relatively few units so mm-hmm. they can keep the cast of characters pretty small i think it's like uh Three three stories, one apartment on each side, mm-hmm. on each floor, and, and then, then a penthouse, penthouse yeah. on top. So yeah, you've got you've got six apartments, and then the penthouse. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like you can have all the residents of the apartment complex gathered downstairs, but there's few enough of them that you can get to know all of them a little bit in the relatively short runtime. Uh, you know, very few people in this movie feel like they're just bodies. Well, they all play there's, into the plot in some capacity. Yeah, that helps a, a there's lot. A, there's a high body count in this movie, but, you know, almost nobody except, like, maybe the one cop at the beginning who gets is the first one bit by the old woman. Like, none of the characters feel like just bodies to die, you know? Um, no, because they're not. Like, um, the they all feel characters... Like people. Right, they're not just... I think a lot of some modern movies, like try try to get away with without this all often and that is like it's not just about introducing your characters and making them feel like people and killing them off it's about giving them service in the story because the best thing that they can do for me to want to relate with them or get to know them better is to have something legitimately integral like in associating with the plot right so like you know like a lot of slasher movies i think like get that wrong in particular like it's like oh they're the cheerleader but they're a cheerleader who smokes weed oh aren't they an interesting character oh no now i'm worried about them dying because they were funny you know like it's like that's that's their whole their deal but here it's like the the old gay racist guy like he he's the one who like like when things are really getting panicky they don't think they're going to be able to leave through the hazmat region or whatever like uh, they have to find another way out. Things are really rough. They know there are zombies now. He says, look, there might be another way. 
if we get the key from like this office or whatever, like we can get down to the the textile uh, facility below and escape into the sewers that way and actually get out of here alive. And um, so and then he immediately dies. Immediately <laughs> gets eaten. Um, but like he serves an earnest purpose, right? right. And that goes for every single character. Like yeah. they all serve a an earnest purpose and uh, have some sort of a, of a of a dynamic role in the story, whether it's as a hindrance or as a uh some degree of exposition uh and i love that like i i really appreciated it i think what helps too is they introduce the characters with a bit of levity like having them start at the fire department that scene goes on for 15 20 minutes which is 20 to 25 percent of this movie when you think about it Mm -hmm. and i think that's really critical looking back because like setting up the characters with a bit of lightheartedness and even when they get to the apartment you get introduced to a lot of the residents on the ground floor with a bit of uh you know levity and lightheartedness i think of the introduction to cesar the the gay racist uh resident like it's it's spanish john waters it's done in such a (laughs) lighthearted way that we actually care for these characters in a way. I think a problem like a lot of found footage movies do is they jump right into the action before we can get to know characters at all. And we're left, you know, thinking, why, who are these people? Why should we care about these people? And because they they set that up and do a good job setting that up. Well, we uh, were much more attached immediately. Yeah, a great example is like the the longest like interview at the firehouse is like with the younger firefighter Alex, who is like telling her about like the typical kind of calls they get. You know what most of their job is, and you know they're they're talking and laughing. There's kind of like a lightly flirtatious sort of tone to it. A little bit, you know, but nothing heavy-handed. He seems like a like an affable, likable guy. You know, uh, the the protagonist seems likable as well. And then he's the one who falls from the stairwell uh, suddenly and surprises. Everybody. That's my favorite moment. Tells everybody in the whole thing. Um, it's well, so good. Part of the reason it's uh, it's so good is because none of the actors knew that was going to happen. Holy shit. So somebody upstairs just threw a dummy down uh, during that scene. Wow. So all of those reactions are authentic. Wow. Um, I also saw, which, which was really cool, I thought, is that the directors did not give any of the actors the full script ever. Oh, cool. They would just give them their scenes, bef- you know, before they shot them. So none of the actors knew the fate of any of the other characters until they were shooting that scene so like they didn't act, they didn't as they were doing the movie they didn't know how their own characters were going to die or not you know well everybody dies in this movie so yeah <laughs> uh, but they didn't know like how they were gonna die how each other was gonna die until it's like okay here's the next scene we're filming here's your script i'm a big fan of that you know as we all know like yeah. uh, alien is probably the best example you know with the chest burster the actors not knowing yep. that was gonna happen it, i would call it the freed kid method the fr- yeah the freed kid <laughs> method motherfucker firing a gun on set of the exorcist to scare people <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> awesome 
a true madman, yeah. William Friedkin. The rules. One of one of the last great. One of the oh last yeah. Great. Uh, if you haven't seen his interview with Nicholas Winding, right? Oh my god! It's oh my god! Please it's so funny. do yourself a favor. Oh my god! It's so funny. <laughs> You, you mentioned earlier how this film does a great job of getting away with the why are they still filming it yeah. aspect. Mm-hmm. Not only because of like the the style, like you really feel like the the camera guy is like trying to put his camera down at times and it's frenetic and it's there are he's a running. few moments where it's kind of like, eh, would you really it. still be filming? Mm-hmm. But but it I'll, works I'll because it, yeah. Yeah, towards the end in particular. But like for the most part, another thing that makes it work is he's there with like other competent people. Right. Like he's surrounded mm-hmm. by all these like hunky firemen. So like the firemen are just trying to handle the scenario. So he's kind of stepping back and filming. Yeah, for most of it, he can mm-hmm. comfortably stand back mm-hmm. and, and film, you know, um, which helps to do his job. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be one of the people who like takes agency in any sort of given moment. Yeah. And to, to quote PG, I do not care for hunky dudes. <laughs> Or do or I? Do I? <laughs> Another like small detail that I really appreciate in this movie that feels like it shouldn't be a big thing, but like for me it kind of is when they go back to the old lady's apartment and they find that she's like bitten and killed the other girl, and then she kind of runs at the cop and he shoots her. I love how loud the gunshots are. Oh, yeah. It, yeah. Like, that's such, like, a movie thing where, like, guns are never as loud as they are in real life. But in this movie, I wouldn't... I, I would assume they probably had a real gun with blanks on set. But, like, it's fucking loud. Guns are loud as shit. And this is, like, one of the only movies I can think of where the gun... Where a gun sounds as loud as it actually would be in real life they do some really fun stuff with the sound design in this movie like they play with peaking and clipping yeah in in a lot of the elements like that that was a great example of it but also like the sound will cut out when it's an extreme moment and it feels very diegetic it doesn't feel like it's forced um, it feels like it happened because the the sound fucking cut out yeah. in the moment. And it's like, you know, maybe the, the sound cutting out when, like, the microphone gets here or whatever, like, some of that probably was artificial. But just like everything else in this movie, so much of, like, the sound design sounds real because it, it was real. They're, you know... When when you hear a loud bang coming from upstairs, it's because someone is upstairs banging on something, and mm-hmm. the mic picks it up. You know, you the gun sounds fucking loud because they probably had a real gun and were shooting blanks, you know, so it was fucking loud. Yeah, it's, I wonder how much of that was on location versus really good, like, Foley and sound design. That's a good question. Because I, I feel like it's that's probably a, a pretty good combo of both, considering, like how well done the rest of the sound in this movie is mm-hmm. wouldn't surprise me if some of it was done in post maybe but also maybe not like it seems like for while they were shooting they had the run of this entire fucking building you know yeah. because they do go throughout the the course of the film they do go all over it into multiple apartments into the, like mm-hmm. Jesus Christ they dress the shit out of the penthouse set you know which we'll talk about soon when we get to the ending um so yeah i don't know uh it's it's a it's a good question how much of it is clever foley how much of it is just like 
doing sound design on set. I don't know. Uh, but the fact that we can't tell says that it's good. <laughs> yeah, and I will say, like, a lot of the visual effects are practical mm-hmm. in this movie. And I think it really Lots helps. Lots of good practical blood. Yeah, I think it really helps make it feel more visceral good makeup yeah intense the, the bite wounds um the fucking the fireman who falls from the the stairwell has like a horrible bite on his face that we see like close up yeah. a couple of times yeah compounded with head trauma yeah geez. the ultimate head trauma that and well obviously the ultimate head trauma is having your head blown up but like yeah he he, he hits it pretty hard but What's what's cool is is frenetic and kinetic as the the camera the camera work is they don't they never use that as an excuse. Um, it's whenever there is like really impressive makeup, like the cameraman is like getting in there and he's trying to get yeah. a good look at he's trying to get a good look at it. So um, you feel rewarded. Um, you know when when there are like scary zombie moments, like there the, the camera is shaky, but like there is clarity when it's needed. I actually I actually read that they ended up being kind of disappointed that some some effects they did weren't more visible because of really? the, the camera work and stuff because like there was some stuff where they like did really extensive makeup work that like just because of how shaky the camera is and how dark the light is like you can't really see it super well you but i mean i think that's though. but i do think that's kind of cool because it's like yeah you said it's the the shaky cam is not an excuse to get away with cheap effects if anything the op- if, if anything the opposite they because the shaky cam they weren't actually able to capture some of the effects that they spent a lot of time working on and you know which is kind of a shame but like still cool that they went through the effort to do it and make it look good better to do that and have it not show up on film than do some cheap shitty stuff and shake the camera around so we can't see it in in classical painting um this is a pretty common technique too it's like what caravaggio would use to like get his like really dynamically lit like spooky paintings and that's um uh or intense paintings uh and that is like you you really work work up your figures and which takes a lot of time, you know, you, you paint your figures, your backgrounds and stuff like in like a mid level lighting and then you darken over it. So it really feels like these objects are like swathed in shadow. And um, it's uh, so whenever I'm doing like horror concept art for pieces, like I'm often like rendering it first, like a little bit brighter and then I darken it, you know, uh, so that it feels like it's cloaked in shadow, even if like and sometimes like an hour or two or several like or a days you know like part of a day of work like kind of gets lost like in the shadow there but you feel it and you know and it feels like something coming out of the shadow and sometimes you have to render it and this reminds me of that in that way like whether or not you catch all of the details the fact that there are details you can you can see the details that were lost does that make sense you yeah. can see that there are I get what you, you mean you see yeah, the totally. negative space in in it and it makes the world feel so much more lived in because of that. And I respect the shit out of it. I think we should, unless you guys have anything else, do we want to talk about like the last 10 minutes? Or yeah, so? please. Yeah. Because this is, this gets to a strange part of the movie where it has both my favorite and least favorite things about the movie in the yeah. span of like 10 minutes. Yeah. I like all of it. 
We'll we'll set up. You know, they get the keys to try to you know get down to the sewers. But oh no, all of the zombies are coming up the stairs. Love that shot when they look down the stairwell and just on every floor there's like two or three zombie zombies 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 zombling up those stairs. <laughs> There's like uh, two or three zombies like looking up at them and like. Rah! Well, it's it's like when you uh, it's like when you catch a bunch of rats in a spotlight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, really and they all stuff. start running up, and then it's that thing where she's trying to find the right key, and oh god, they're coming! Oh god, and they get in just like just in time, and then you know they then there's the reveal of the penthouse, um, which uh, you know things I love about it, uh, namely. Uh, the the set dressing the pr- the production design I think it looks great yeah uh, I think there is too much way too much spoken exposition in this scene it's like they they do such a good job of keeping things vague and ambiguous throughout the whole movie we're kind of learning the rules as we go along we still don't really have a great idea of the rules and then you get into the penthouse and it's just like here's all of the exposition it's almost comical because instead of like drip feeding that information to us through the movie they literally go from one point to the next to the next to the next to the next it's like it's like look 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 over here here's some more exposition oh wait now look over here here's some more here's a tape recorder let's play this yeah and the number of times that when she finds a tape recorder that she it'll start saying something and she's like wait and she'll like fast forward it and press play and it's right at the perfect point where they need the exposition to pick up and she does that like three times it's just like for for how good the rest of the movie is at feeling like realistic and like may and like the the dialogue sounds authentic the people sound like real people this is where it gets into the territory of like this is stuff we wrote listen to the stuff we wrote to paint a picture for the listener who hasn't seen this the inside of the apartment's completely dark. They only have the light from the camera, but it's like a weird, spooky, like lab. But also the walls are covered in newspaper clippings and photographs. There's a shit ton of like crucifixes and stuff. There's a lot of religious paraphernalia. It looks know, like a Resident Evil level. A lot of Jesuses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, but you know, it, it looks grimy and dirty and there's like, like a sink with some weird fluid in. in it there's all kinds of like beakers and vials and stuff around and like cool. i think it's i think it does me. i think it does so much work visually that i don't think you need any of the fucking dialogue like the fact that it is both that it is a lab but that it is also covered with religious iconography that just like looking at that says so much mm-hmm. it's like there is something scientific that was going on here there was something that was being there was an, there were experiments being done there were concoctions being made but also like look at all of these jesuses and these crucifixes and stuff there's some like crazy religious element who the fuck was living up here and i love what that implies so much more than 
her going around and being like, Pablo, look at this. There was a girl in Port in Portugal who was possessed by the devil, and they took her to Rome. And then uh, now we find this tape recorder of a guy being like, "I have isolated the enzyme, and it has mutated, and I fear that it might be contagious. And if it is, God have mercy on us all. The girl must be destroyed." Like it just. Well, he doesn't say the girl must be destroyed. He says the girl must. Be um, she doesn't. He doesn't say contained either, but he says like sealed well, away or well, yeah, whatever. He talks. He talks as, about her, he as talks per about like the very specific instructions in the ritual, and I thought that was fucking cool because. And here, if you don't mind, do you mind if I kind of like defend sure. the sequence a little bit? Because like I, I, I totally agree. I, um, like it is. It is you, can't you do? Can't you do more with less? Yeah, yeah. You can, I think- you can, but I don't. I don't have a problem with with the more that I got. Like, like in here. Here's why. Like, like it, okay. It might not be how I would do it, but like to me, like organically. First off, I, I think that the film up until that point does, does still does like a really phenomenal job of delivering exposition, which y'all agreed with. But like the we get a really cool train trail of breadcrumbs like leading up to the sequence where it's like okay it's the girl's dog was taken to the vet right then we learn that the 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 they first encountered the scenario with the vet the, that's what brought the government the chemical to folks the, yeah yeah to to the apartment um, to the apartment which was really cool that stuff's all and so great, it stems from cool, that all of that and we know that there was like something upstairs and yeah, they they tell us before that the penthouse upstairs is closed up. It's owned by some rich man from Madrid, but nobody lives there. But nobody it's been lives sealed there. up. So that reveal of getting in there and being like, "Oh, somebody's been doing something up here." That's all great. Yeah, it's all great. And um, the what is the epicenter of it? And we're at the climax of the film, where we would get what is behind the zombie outbreak. And what I what I appreciated about it is that. It face value, it's a little, it's just, okay, it's a Resident Evil, like, biohazard fucking lab. You know, a guy, a guy made it, he made the, he made the, the, the T-virus or whatever, and well, he's been studying, infected the building. He's, he's but been it's not studying that. it, and it's gotten loose. Yes, yeah, but it, but it's a little more than that, and I, and I liked, uh, and here, here's the thing, it's like, yeah, it is all the exposition at once, but also it is the place where all the information would be. Um, like, they're not going to get that trickle of information throughout the rest, and I'm really glad we didn't get the religious stuff before then um it would have it would have clued me into it too early would have had me like thinking about it and i like that it's only a touch at the end and even still it isn't known so what's cool is yeah he says like through the information that they find which again it's a really cool set it looks really neat i i do agree the pablo look at this pablo look at this it could have been a little bit cleaner it does feel a little artificial well, that's, why that's why you, would the newspaper but, clippings even be on the walls you will be, because he's doing research like, let me let me explain like because the, the series of events is the girl a girl in uh where portugal in portugal uh is quote possessed and then she's picked up by the church and she's taken to Rome and they're like doing studies on her or whatever and they're trying to get the devil out. We have our scientist character from Madrid who we never meet who possibly, you know, is able to – he's like wealthy or whatever and he's able to like get a hold of the girl for study. He's maybe been studying this disease. He's probably, he's probably and, church affiliated. Yeah, but like he seems like a, a scientist first. And maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but this is the fun. Like, there's a bit of texture to project onto. And he's a scientist, and he's trying to, like, find a cure, a science cure for it that isn't religiously based, right? And he gets a hold of the girl and is trying to, like, figure it out. And that's when, you know, he's like, oh, shit, en- enzymes, whatever. He inevitably has to resort 
by sealing her away following the texts, he has to resort to religion. And I think that's really neat. And it says like, oh, wait, is this a is this purely a science zombie virus or did he accidentally like turn possession into a virus? Right. Like, is it is it like actually satanic as well? And that's cool. And the mystery of like not knowing and like seeing because we see the girl like afterwards, like in, like when she comes down from the attic and she's wandering around and she looks fucking horrifying. Yeah, that's yeah. one of my favorite yeah. parts. Of the and like, movie. and you can't tell if she's just really emaciated a zombie or if she's like paranormally walking around you know like like you can't tell like yeah. like the way that she's elongated and kind of monstrous like but as see, you're thinking like is she d- demonic I, you know what's going on and i i loved that but see, here's the thing everything you're describing i think can be inferred visually i think my problem with it is not conceptually anything you're saying. I think all of that is cool. But I think the fact that they stumble into this penthouse and it is, like, presented as, like, both a lab and, like, a church, kind of, that tells me everything I need to know about mm. who is is who has been occupying this place. Yeah. That they're obviously... A scientist to some degree, hence all of the beakers and vials and scientific equipment and, like, the the gurney and shit like that. But the fact that there's crucifixes and stuff everywhere also tells me that whoever this person is thinks that whatever they're doing or whatever they're studying is the devil or whatever is demonic hence hence all of the, the church stuff yeah yeah all of the church but, stuff and i think that you get all of that you get all of that visually. yeah and the fact and like do i think you can still have the tape i think have less of the tape yeah have have snippets of it but the fact that like you you could have been snippier which, on the tape which, which you mentioned is that like it makes sense that the in, all the information comes here because this is the location where the information is yes you're right but it's what, ground zero. What feels yes, totally. What feels hokey about it is that in this location where it is pitch black and all they have is the light from the camera and everybody else in the building is the fucking zombie and they don't know where they are and what the fuck is going on. The fact that she is able to so easily pinpoint the exact pieces of information on the wall that we need to understand what's happening. That's what feels artificial. Like when, if you were to walk into a room and every wall is covered in new newspaper clippings and documents how do you know where to even start looking mm-hmm. well, you know it's overload of information so the fact that it's like we we have this great visual set but it's just like pablo look over here here's here's it, this part of the story now look over here here's the next part of the story now look over here here's some files oh under the files there's a tape recorder every part i fast forward to gives me just the piece of exposition i need in this given moment i have one last point I'm uh, partially inclined to agree, but there's there's one there's one other factor. Um, okay, so first off, the specifics of the girl being taken, I really like that stuff. I, I don't like, I, and I agree, it is kind of artificial how she like points in, in like to random spots on the wall, like in in an order that could have felt a little more organic in that yeah. space. I, I agree, I do agree with that. But 
the other factor is I do need her calling that stuff out because it's it is a the wall looks cool like like we want we want a wall plastered with with, with weird shit on right. it. We, we all like that yes yeah. it's in Spanish I need her to say the words so the subtitles can tell me what they're saying sure. like uh, I'm sorry but like y- y- <laughs> I wouldn't have gotten any of that information if we just looked at it so yeah, like but but again, have, I agree it could have been more down in the delivery stuff like I feel like you just show the same I mean I wouldn't have gotten the stuff ju- about the girl like getting kidnapped like and that's you know like uh, by the by the yeah, Vatican but, but, and stuff and I love that yeah, but you can you can do you can like that's the part where you give a little bit of information via the recording. Like okay, if he's a scientist, he's doing recordings of his findings and stuff. I think that's okay. It's just there's too much of it. Pick and choose, do mm-hmm. less, give us the right little tidbits of information and let us put the rest of the pieces together because that's how the characters would be doing it too instead of finding each piece of exposition in the order they need to be found to lay out a chronological narrative. Like I, I like it more when you, they give you little pieces of ambient information and you put together the story. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, again, like I like the lore itself that they're trying to, you know, give here. It's just that I, it almost feels rushed. It Which feels you know, like an exposition it, dump. Yeah, it, you know, it is. this is yeah, a 75 minute movie. They could have easily extended that penthouse scene out and drip fed us that information a little bit more. Have slow the scene down. Have a them bit. explore the the location a bit more and get that as they go through rather than just literally pointing from one yeah. to the next. Yeah, I feel like this mo- movie maybe could have like. With just a little bit more time, not been a tight seventy-five. Like I, I like a tight seventy-five, but I think I think if this was an eighty, it would have been like, you know, like just a little more time yeah, in sure. that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think uh, it slow. It is. It's a small. A little bit. It is a small detail, but it really is just a matter of like having some of those sentences start in the middle on those tape recordings. We would have gotten the same information. And and, and I mean, you can do horse stuff with thing, that because like. That penthouse scene with the girl, the girl is one of the scariest parts of the movie. Have us hear more sounds from the ceiling. Have us hear, you know, things going on, running, all these different things while the scene is going on to intersperse it to make us build up to that horror. Well, I think I think that like the previous circumstances were enough build up like like how we got there is is enough for me and and also too like if if we heard like scampering upstairs or like creepy demonic breathing and stuff. I think like creepy demonic breathing like when she's walking around is fine, but like before we know that someone is up in the attic, they can get away with being like maybe it's the pipes or whatever. I think that was kind of dumb. It's like maybe it's the pipes. Look around. Look at where you are. I, like, I, thought was, I thought it was pretty dumb that Pablo looked up there. It's a great scare. Like it looks really good, but it's like, what, man? You already know there are zombies. Like yeah, why you like like you're you're at like what it can only be ground zero. You just you just saw you just saw like all that information. Like yeah. why are you why are you trying to go in the spooky attic when the guy on the tape literally just said he just tried to seal it using like fucking religion and gave up on science. Like yeah, yeah. no, it's time to go. Like you're in a you're in a 
fucking demon house. Like it's time to leave. Well, and that's and that's the thing. I mean, like, you can't leave, but it, you know. it, it might seem like we're picking hairs here, and like I think we, we are, we are, we absolutely <laughs> yeah. are. That's our job. But, it's a podcast. That's again, why you're listening. <laughs> again, it's like that. The fact that we're getting this nitpicky speaks to the overall quality of the film. Yes, because if it was a lesser film, this shit that I'm like getting super nitpicky about would not be as much of a problem for me. Yeah. It's that it's that like the rest of the movie the the information is delivered in such an authentic realistic way that when they get into this room and all of a sudden it's just boom exposition it's like ah fuck i'm watching a movie like i know i'm watching a movie but like it takes it takes me out of it it's like here we have to answer the questions that you have and found footage should not necessarily answer all of the questions because you are finding the footage sometimes you yeah. have to intuit you have to intuit i like like i like both i i think in in the right the right circumstance but like here like like the the build-up was so good i felt like they were kind of doing like a give the people what they want sort of thing with it and it's like hey you have some wild zombies here's some real resident evil shit for you and i i liked that yeah. i like that about it but well, i agree I mean, like the, I, I i i appreciate the the subtlety as well the the patient zero possessed virus girl is so fucking scary so well done um i i noticed uh I had an inkling when we were watching the scene, but then I checked in the credits and I noticed that that, that girl is played by uh, Javier Botet, who uh, I think he was probably like a no-name before this, but he has become like one of Hollywood's big go-to like monster guys. Um, he's another like Doug Jones type figure. Oh, cool! He has uh, he's like seven feet tall and he's like super skinny, so he's perfect for scary monsters and horror movies. He is the xenomorph in Alien Covenant. Uh, he's the crooked man in Conjuring Two. He's the the leprous hobo in It Chapter One. Oh, he's he's Mama in Mama. <laughs> Um, he is like, if in like the last 10 to 15 years, there's been like an abnormally tall, slender monster in a movie, that's him. Is he the Slender Man? I think he is in Slender Man, actually. <laughs> uh, I might, I might be wrong on that. There's a ton of CG in that movie, but I do, I do think he actually is. And I think he does, uh, do some Slender Man action. Um, so I just think that's, I just think that's cool. I think this... I can't say for a hundred percent certainty, but I wouldn't be surprised if this movie was his big break, um, because he is a, a Spanish actor. Uh, and uh, hell yeah, get that bag, man! Uh, I just hell love, yeah. yeah. I mean, and he is the he, the monster that he plays. He's in this great. Movie yeah, is horrifying. She's so tall and she's so skinny, and she's walking around with her titties out and a hammer, and she just absolutely beats Pablo to death with that hammer. Yeah, and it's a uh, shitty it's, mallet. Man, it's it's great too because like after he sticks the camera up in the attic, really, what the scene or what the the purpose that that dumb shit serves is breaking the light on the camera, uh, so they have an excuse to turn on the night vision. Um, Cause like that, all of the, all of, you know, seeing that monster is all in night vision. looks great. Love when they're looking at the first sighting, when they're looking around, they see down the hallway and there's just like this unnaturally tall, skinny silhouette. 
I will so say I I really appreciate how they don't overuse night vision in this movie. Same. I think that's one of the big problems of the American With remake. Quarantine. Yeah. They do so much of that movie in that fucking yeah. night vision. Yeah, and it it doesn't look great. No, no, it does not. Well, and also it's like artificial night vision too. You know, it's like they it's a night vision filter they slapped over the the movie whereas like this is like actual night vision. It's like super grainy and it looks like shit and uh it makes that scene so much fucking scarier. Mhm. Yeah. And you know, for as short as the movie is and how we're saying we wish the ending was was elongated a little bit, I think the whole part where they're like sneaking around the apartment hiding from this this patient zero girl is uh a, it, it feels quite long mm-hmm. it's like it's it's drawn out um and man, it's yeah it's it's so well done it's uh it's genuinely very spooky uh big outlast vibes yeah uh, it is actually uh it is actually noted that uh this film was the number one inspiration for outlast oh shit Yup. Yeah, there's some really the, cool the blend of science and religion thematically, and mm. also the the night vision camera aesthetic, and the how the night vision gives people the glowy eyes. That's a big thing in Outlast. But yeah, out, the Outlast developers are have uh, are on record as that this is like this film is the the primary inspiration for that game. So cool. that's pretty cool. That's dope. Um, anything else, boys? No, I loved it. I, I adored it. Yeah, uh, slap mm-hmm. a rating on there. Uh, really strong for me, 4.5. Which uh, one? 4.5. Fuck it. Yeah, it's, it's pretty damn pretty damn good. I was going to go with a 4, but I'm feeling generous. That, yeah, this is a really solid movie. It's no wonder why it's had such a legacy. Uh, it's not perfect, but, you know, for a tight 75, I don't have a ton of major complaints. I'm going to give this a strong four out of five. Um, Yeah, I I love this movie a lot. Um, it is uh, really the only thing that keeps it from being perfect for me is just how exposition dumpy it gets at the end. Like, ultimately, it's a it's a minor thing. Um, and the lore that we get is cool, but it does break my immersion. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm also feeling a, a very strong four point five. Um, so that gives Rec an average of 4.3 out of 5 pods. Sam, thank you. Thanks, Sam. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great choice. Very good choice. Much respect. Well, we have results for Morbius. Morbius. I also have, uh, some other stuff about Morbius. Did Morbius sweep? Did it sweep? Oh, I I sure hope so. Was it a Morbius sweep? Well, okay, so we predicted Rotten Tomatoes. Tease and I both picked 48 for this, and Cleve, you picked 50. I pricked it. You, you pricked 50. It is currently sitting at 17 on Rotten oh! Tomatoes. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so, and I uh, get that one. Uh, our collective rating prediction, oof. I predicted 3.2. I God think my damn. justification was I thought it was going to be so bad it's good. So bad it's good. Uh, I wish. Uh, unfortunately not. Mm. Uh, TC predicted 2.3. And Cleve, you predicted 2. 
Ah, yeah. So if I remember correctly, a, this was like a 1.2. 1. 1. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So wins that uh, one. And then for box office, <laughs> I predicted 28 million. TCU predicted 60 million. And Cleve, you predicted 200 million. Wait, According no. to IMDb, uh, oh, opening, we don't count international. God damn it! Opening weekend is thirty nine million. Yeah. So I you got that barely got squeaked that. Squeaked that Man, one. if we were doing international, I would have won it because internationally it did an additional forty four, which puts it at about eighty million, and I would have won. Yeah. I would have yeah. won that one. God damn it! Well, no, the, it says opening weekend worldwide was thirty nine million. It looks like gross so far has been ninety one. For our, our listeners, uh, there's a funny uh, story going around about Morbius. Apparently, Jared Leto was so committed to playing Morbius that he would use crutches and slowly limp to the bathroom. <laughs> However, the pee breaks began taking so long that it was slowing down filming, so a compromise was made for him to use a, a wheelchair. wheelchair. I'd heard that before. So it's it's funny that you bring that up because I actually uh, have a little snippet from the exact same interview um, uh, with... Morbius director Daniel Espinoza. He spoke with uh, journalist Mike Ryan, and uh, I I took screenshots of this snippet of the article because we were talking about how inexplicable the the Michael Keaton vulture stuff was, like shoehorned mm-hmm. in at the end. So Mike Ryan asked Daniel Espinoza about that. So I'm going to read that part of the interview. Oh, for good. You guys I want to know. So Mike Ryan says, well, there are scenes of Michael Keaton in the trailer that aren't in the movie. So that's why I was wondering if some things had to be reworked to match with No Way Home, the new Spider-Man movie. Uh, Daniel Espinosa said, yeah, exactly. The first thing that happened was that we had Michael Keaton because we were planning on doing this. But then when Spider-Man No Way Home came out, it said... Uh, this is how the visual effects are. And then the idea of having him just encountering him in that universe seemed too complicated. So then we put it in the end. What? <laughs> uh, okay, so you did have to cut some things to make it match up with No Way Home. Is that accurate? Yes, because we have to match. I didn't know how the transportation would look in that. The thing I wasn't clear on in the post credit scene is when Vulture says, I think this is Spider-Man's fault. We should team up and fight him. How does Morbius know who Spider-Man is? Also, the movie establishes that Morbius is a good man who got too ambitious and created this serum and some bad things happened. But at heart, he's not a bad person. Why would Morbius be interested in teaming up with this criminal? First of all, Vulture is not a criminal in that universe yet. What? That's fair, but why would Morbius be interested in what Vulture has to say in the first place? Exactly. I think it's a meeting of those, because in this world, Spider-Man exists. In all the different Marvel timelines, you have a Spider-Man. It's a totem. In the Marvel universe, what you say is that you have, is that you have to have a Spider-Man in each universe for it to function. He's one of the fundamental beings. Now, that's how it is in the comic books. Okay, sure, but there's nothing in the movie that establishes that Morbius has any beef with Spider-Man whatsoever, though. Oh, exactly. I think that's more one of those scenes that are made that when you have scenes before that and a movie comes along, that will explain that reposition. 
What? Can you say that again? <laughs> yeah, let me read that last quote. Uh, and, and don't worry, that wasn't me reading it wrong. This is verbatim. Oh, oh, it was, huh? <laughs> oh, oh, exactly. I think that's more one of those scenes that are made that when you have scenes before that in a movie comes along, that will explain that reposition. <laughs> <laughs> So that just goes to show, in the whole thing with the vulture, even the director, Daniel Espinoza, has no, no idea, idea what any of that was about. You or know, cares. There, or a, gives a shit. There's yeah, a well. segment in the show Nathan for You where he's doing a job interview and he's fed lines from, like, a, a seven-year-old. Yep. This interview sounds, sounds like, like he was fed lines from a seven-year-old. So uh, that's just, you know, a little bit of confirmation and validation for us, and I'm sure many many other people who saw Morbius that there's a good reason that the Michael Keaton stuff at the end didn't make any sense because Daniel Espinosa also didn't know what was going on. <laughs> don't you love that? Wow. Yeah. Don't you, don't you love when you have to make a movie that is in line with another like nebulous cinematic universe where they don't really tell you what's going on and you kind of just have to make it work. Isn't that great? Don't we don't we love the state of filmmaking these days, folks? Incredible. Uh, well, anyway, that's Morbius. Uh, next week, uh, it's Cleveland's pick. Cleveland, you picked Predator Two. You're goddamn right, I did. Hell yeah, uh, I have seen Predator Two before, and uh, I love it. But uh, for very different reasons than I love the first one, <laughs> uh, Predator Two. <laughs> He's in the city now. He is. The concrete jungle. The concrete jungle. He's that he's he's out here, the predator is. Uh and so is Danny Glover and Gary Busey. Ooh. So, I'm gonna be curious about revisiting this one. I remember not really liking it all that much. Uh, on I, the think first we, watch. I think we oh. wa- didn't we watch it together in the dorm yeah, freshman yeah, year of yeah. college? <laughs> so it's been a minute. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 been a while since I've seen it. It has some wildly baffling narrative Ooh, decisions. Yes. Can't wait. That I'm that I'm very excited to revisit. Yeah, I've never um, seen it before, which is one of the reasons I which is the main reason I picked it is it is Predator 2, so it feels like something I should see. <laughs> it's one of those yeah. movies that's kind of a bad movie but also kind of a good movie. Okay. Well, I'm curious and in what way. There's a new Predator coming out later this year, so we're Ray. getting uh, yeah. Which I'm you know, about. ready for that. Hell yeah. Oh boy. Well, uh, join us next week for Predator 2. All right. This episode is brought to you by Pocket Lasagna. You want a little lasagna? Just check your pocket. It's already there. How'd it get there? Oh my God. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. It is there. It's pretty exciting, right? You excited, Ben? My pockets I'm are a mess. I'm so happy. Should, it's our sponsor. You better be happy. It has My pockets extra are a marinara. Mess. My ricotta. hands are a mess. But it's delicious. But it sure is tasty. It's and tasty it was just lasagna. there. It was just in my pocket. Are you hungry? Doesn't matter. Check your pocket. It's there. <laughs> pocket lasagna. It's Anya. Ooh. Oh. Ooh. Damn. <laughs> That was hot. That yeah. was hot fire right there. I just read the scripts. That was hot right there. I just read the scripts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That'll do it for us this week. If you like the show and you want to support the show, the best way to do so 
is to leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. But we've also got a Patreon. You can support us there if you so choose. Uh, shout out to honorary podboy Sam Simon, who uh, contributes to the show and who picked this movie for us, which was fucking awesome. Um, it was better than your last pick, Sam. Um, so we we appreciate it. <laughs> uh, you can follow us on Twitter at podpeoplepod and at letterbox.com slash podpeoplepod. Or you'll find a list of all the films we've talked about on the show with our average ratings and links to those reviews. You can follow me on Twitter at some spooky snake. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Sheets. I'm occasionally tweeting for Light Arcs, too, as we put up pro- progress on It Stares Back. Burgers. Burgers. <laughs> but you can also check out our... Uh, you can also just go to Steam, check out It Stares Back. It's fucking cool. It's a horror game and stuff. It's an early access. We're still working on it. We've been still working on it for a very long time, and we'll continue to still be working on it for a very long time. But that's okay. It's there. You can we're play. busy. We're busy. We have other things we're doing. Speaking of other things I'm we doing... We have jobs and lives. We have jobs and lives. And, and podcasts. My, and podcasts. And my job is uh, working for DreadXP, um, uh, doing cool art for them. For all sorts of games and things, go check out go check out Hand of Doom. Go check out My Friendly Neighborhood. Go check out Sucker for Love. Go check out all of it. We've got cool merch, and we're, we're going to be at PAX East, and I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at PAX East, so if you're in the Boston area um, uh, next week or whatever, come and say hello to me directly. You can do that. I'm going to be running the My Friendly Neighborhood booth. Uh, I'm hoping to be wearing a sock puppet. I haven't, I haven't made it yet, so maybe I will, maybe I won't. You better but get on it. Better get on it. That's right. That's it for me. All right. Well, we thank you, dear listener, mm. for we listening. We appreciate you. And for existing. And yeah, it's hard to exist. You did it. It yeah, sure can it. be. Well, keep it up. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>